Can't relate. Have no idea. (laughs) Several weeks ago, we started a series called Sinister, where we were looking at the seven deadly sins. And just a reminder, there's no verse in the Bible that says, herein lie the seven deadly sins, and then it just gives you several vice lists, but this is not one of them. Uh, Early church fathers kind of put this thing together. Now, each one of these, even though there's no list straight up in Scripture, each one of these has their own time in the spotlight in scripture and today we come to gluttony aren't you glad you came this morning oh great all right to buckle in because it make you feel guilty uh, let's we, our goal this morning is to see what god's word has to say and that need never be anything that should bring anybody about false guilt but just freedom um Food is huge for us. Uh, recent poll said that between the ages of 20 and 50, between the ages of 20 and 50, the average person will spend over 20,000 hours, well over 20,000 hours eating. That's about 1,100 days. That's like three years, 365 days, 24-7 eating. And if you, you think about it, we eat all the time. You know, we're eating on the road. There's a drive-in window thingies. We've got every party that you go to. Can you imagine a party with no food? That'd be a lame party, right? I'm not going to that one. And, and just everything we do, we're eating, got TV dinners going. We're tailgating. We're always eating. Maybe this is why it can be an issue for us. In a uh, one poll that, that I went across, came across, 40% of those surveyed said that their number one fear was that they would get fat. That's their number one fear. I think there's some things to fear, but maybe this is why on any given day in America, 65 million Americans are dieting. Maybe this is why diet books outsell all other books other than the Bible itself. Food is big in the Bible. We know. I mean, of course, the whole thing starts this way, right? Adam and Eve mess up with their diet and kind of plunge the whole race into, into darkness, you got Abraham having a special dinner for three special heavenly people. You've got Esau, what's he, sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. Must have been pretty good soup, I guess. And you go on and on and on. And Daniel's first temptation deals with food. And Queen Esther is known for her banquets. And you get the New Testament and Jesus is feeding 5,000 people with, with just a couple of crackers and fish. And then does it again for 4,000. And then Martha and Mary get over, get into it over her not helping with dinner, right? And and then Jesus reveals his resurrected body to the Maus disciples at supper time. And then he reveals it to his apostles at breakfast time. And then he gives us, he institutes something for the church, a meal that's going to symbolize the most glorious event, his death and resurrection for us. It's communion. And then when we get to heaven, guess what? One of the first things we do when we get to heaven it's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. You know, I mean, food is just all over the place in Scripture. Uh, you need to know as we look into that, that the Bible encourages us to enjoy food much more than it warns us about food. Okay, now that's, that's in Scripture, Christian Scriptures, there is no shunning of food. Now that's different from Judaism, that's different from Islam, that's different from Hinduism. It, it's it's a, uh, more feasting than fasting you find in Scripture. God's people said, you know, hey man, good, that's good to hear. So why are we going down this road? 
And, and how come these church fathers actually put gluttony on the list of the seven deadly sins? I mean, for crying out loud, all things, no one wants to be gluttonous, but of all the sins that are out there, I can think of some a little bit worse than gluttony. Come on, these guys must have missed it. But you need to know that these church fathers didn't just include gluttony on the list of the seven deadly sins. They put it number one on the list of the seven deadly sins. And you go, oh, geez. These are desert-dwelling, monkish, anti-fun sort of guys. Of course, this is the kind of thing they would do clueless, just clueless about life. Or... Or maybe they understood something that we don't understand. Maybe they understood a little bit about what gluttony really represented and really was. And we don't, we don't, we don't get that. Gluttony, the word, refers to an excess, right? So uh, more is related to the word. More, more, more. Um, lack of control is related to the word. And um, food is specifically gluttony. But there's another side of it. Well, it's just this whole idea of, of excess. It's like uh, um, you and I have a body, right? We don't just have, a, we don't just like dwell. The real us is in the body and the body is just kind of a shell or a moral. We are a body. And we have appetites with our body and passions with our our body and so we seek to fulfill those and satisfy those but sometimes life can be all about nothing more than satisfying those appetites just satisfying those passions and that's all life is we go from one thing to the next seeking to satisfy the different passions and appetites in the most succulent ways we can in the most glorious ways we can that won't kill us that's what we seek to do that's kind of life for us we feeling sexual we act on it or think about acting on it right we're feeling hungry we act on it. We're feeling lethargic. We act on it. We're feeling tired. We act on it. We're feeling like not doing anything. We act on it. We feel unless someone's yelling at us. We, we, we feel like watching TV and playing video games. We act on it. We just, we're just feeling those, those things in excess. All of life is about those things. And I think that's why the, the, the church fathers are saying, this is big. Because I don't always have an opportunity to have an affair. But you know what? I always have an opportunity to, to take my appetites and, and push them out a little bit, satisfy them in an un- unrighteous sort of, sort of way. It's, uh, gluttony. Gluttony. So you, you ask your, yourself, what is the... How do you... I am a body, and it's not bad. The appetites, taste buds came from God, right? It's, 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 it's not a, a bad thing. But here's, here's the deal. I'm a body. I've got my body. But as Christians, uh, there's another side to us. And this is something that the media is never going to tell us about, that hell wants us to forget about, that the, that the culture is not going to help us with. Our, we have appetites with our, our, our body, but we should have appetites with our soul as well. When we come to know Christ, just look, look what the, the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 8. It says, taste 
and see that the Lord is good. And John 6, 35, this is why Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, feasts on me, who, who, who hungers for me. They're never going to hunger again. That's why Jesus in John 4, he's talking to the Samaritan woman. And he says, ma'am, if you knew who it was who talked to you, is Jesus, you would ask him for living water. He'd give you water. You'd never thirst again. This is why in John 6, Jesus says, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. He's not talking about cannibalism here. It's this metaphor, right? But he's referring to this, this feasting on, on him, this hungering for him. Problem is, sometimes I'm so tied up with my appetites over here that I don't, my stomach growls louder sometimes than my soul. And I just don't. Don't hear right. Great psalm. This, this, this is a good psalm to memorize. Psalm 63. This, this is a great, great psalm. Uh, it says, oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I'll lift up my hands. My soul, look at this line, will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. It's, it's, it's that uh, listening to your, your, your soul. It's, it's that hungering for him, not just for for this, not just for the things of this world. It's living your life on the, the vertical plane, not just the horizontal plane. I don't know if you've uh, watched any of the Olympics. I like the Olympics. Olympics are good. You see these, these athletes who are the best in the world, and you know they probably didn't pick up their sport three weeks ago, right? You, you know they, this kid probably has never known anything but this. They're, they started skiing on the, when they were three years old. Uh, they've organized their whole life about it. They've moved in, along in the country to be closer to better uh, coaches. They watch their diet inside and out. Their training is, is intentional and, and radical. They've suffered all kinds of accidents. When you watch these guys wipe out, you know they've probably done that before. Every one of those guys have probably done that before multiple times. Uh, they've paid a price because it doesn't just come. Likewise, spiritually. Paul says it about this in 1 Corinthians 9. Do we have that? Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run? He's talking about the Olympics here. But only one receives the prize. There was only one podium at that point. There was, there was one, one award given. That's it. Run that you may obtain it. Go for the gold. Run to win. Forget everything else. Don't just be happy that you're in the race. Make yourself win. He, say, he says that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. NIV says every athlete exercises strict discipline, strict training. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Next slide. So I do not run aimlessly. I know, where the, I know where the finish line is. I don't box as one beating the air. It's intentional. Everything I do is intentional. I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
He says, he says, my body doesn't control me. You see what he's saying? My, my, my needs and my appetites and my thirst, they don't control me. They're not the ones that set my life direction. I control them. They don't tell me what we're going to do. I tell my body what we're going to do. This is the issue. Either we are slaves to our appetites or our bodies are our slaves. And Paul, Paul is saying, it's so easy to be here, but I make my body my slave. Here's a, here's a fantastic verse, very uh, abused verse in Christendom, Revelation 3.20, right? Jesus says, he's, he's, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know this verse. Now, you know what's amazing, though? Why this verse is so abused is a lot of evangelists and preachers have used this over the years. And the picture is often, you know, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart of a pagan person. And he's kind of begging to come on in and pleading for them to open the door so he can come in and bring redemption and bring grace and bring forgiveness. And that verse has nothing to do with that. The, the Revelation 3.20 is written to the church at Laodicea. This is written to Christians. Because Jesus knows that people, Christians, start off, but then their appetites, bodily appetites, can overshadow their soul appetites, and the soul appetite can just kind of die, and, and, and you can lose the taste. And here's like MSG is bored on all of the taste buds of everything, and you're just going crazy with them, and meanwhile the soul dies. And so what Jesus is doing is he's coming to Christians. Maybe he's coming to you, maybe this morning, and he's saying, hey, hey, don't forget to feast on the bread of life. Don't forget the, the fellowship we're supposed to have. Don't forget that that's not going to satisfy, that that's empty. But, but here, now listen, we should like, um, I, I'm, I don't know if this is biblical, but work with me for a minute. We should like pizza and popcorn and potato chips and pork chops and, and Big Macs and Krispy Kreme and, and pecan pie and blueberry muffins and apple strudel and, and fresh wild caught Alaskan salmon and hot coffee. And those are gifts from God. That's not, that's, Liking that is not bad. Remember, Scripture tells us to enjoy those gifts. But when we just, that's all we do. And the, the reason why this is the top deadly sin is because it's so easy to lose who we are in Him. To lose Him. We don't, this is what we need. And He's saying, ah. So, so how do we? Let's, let's say you're here this morning, you're saying, well, I, I want this hunger in my, my soul. Maybe I, I heard it there one time, long time ago. It's pretty much died. How can I rejuvenate that? How can we, we, what MSG can I pour on those spiritual taste buds to get that back in line? And how can I quelch? Because, yeah, these are kind of out of control. What can I do? There's a tool. You know, I remember Paul said, going to strict training, there is a tool in the spiritual toolbox of Scripture to help us get there, and it's called fasting. We look at uh, Matthew 6. Jesus is talking about that. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now notice, when you fast, 
Jesus is, 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 is assuming, he doesn't say if you fast, he's assuming that his believers will fast. You see this again in, in Matthew 9, John's disciples actually come to Jesus and they say, uh, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Uh, Jesus assumes that his followers are going to fast. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you this. There's no command in the New Testament to fast. We don't find this command. Um, in the Old Testament, we got fasting one time, universal um, for everybody all the time. It was at the Day of Atonement. There was a one-day fast for the whole nation of Israel. And then they had other fasts that were scattered here and there. But that, that was it. New Testament, there's no command at all. You, you, you need to, to, some of you might say, that's good. Okay, so I'm not breaking a command here if I don't fast. No, no, no. If you don't want to fast, you don't have to fast. That's, I think that's, that's Jesus is, is there. That's, 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 that's okay. You need to know, though, what fasting is not. Fasting is not a tool to uh, move the arm of God. Fasting is not a manipulative device to get God to, to listen because he doesn't want to listen otherwise, right? Fasting is, is not a tool to get God on your agenda. Fasting is not one of these things that um, when I pray without fasting, my prayers are like, you know, like a five on the prayer scale. But when I pray with fasting, oh, baby, you see, then they're like a ten. And that really gets God's attention. And he's going, oh, man, wow, he's back up. I'm obliged to go ahead and fall. I've got to do something about that. That's not the way it works, right? Well, wouldn't you hate it, actually, if that was the way God was? Fasting is, is always a non-compulsory, involuntary act. That has no efficacy in itself. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not like it's a lucky rabbit's foot that when you pull the fasting thing in, then may, that's not the fasting is, is a, a, my heart's hungering for you, Lord, or my heart's not, but I want it to more. Fasting is, is a response in, in, in scripture. You see it for all kinds of different things, for worship, for crises, for protection, all over. My, my, my soul is aching so much. I'm not running to the cupboard when my soul starts aching. I'm running. So it's the opposite. I'm running to fast when my soul aches. I'm coming before him saying, God, I need you. I, I, I want you. That, that's why you can't. The goal of fasting is not to not do food. Uh, gluttony is not about a flabby waistline. You need to know. Gluttony is about a flabby soul. That's what it's about. Biblical fasting is always accompanied with prayer. Uh, it, it, biblical fasting is not fasting for health. Now, I'm not against fasting for health. That's a wonderful, that's a good thing, but that's not a biblical fast. Uh, they, 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 they weren't there. They didn't understand that. Also, you need to know this. Fasting's hard to check out, right? It's hard to, 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 to um, notice in myself. You don't notice fasting by the scale in the, in the bathroom. Okay, there's, there's a huge dip. We just got to make sure we understand there's a difference between being overweight and, and gluttony. There's a big difference. 
There's lots of reasons somebody could be overweight that's, that's not bashed in Scripture. Gluttony, that's a different issue. You could have a beanpole, right, who's got a metabolism out of this world, who's got a much bigger issue with this than like everybody who's going to Jenny Craig at the, at the same time. So, so that's not the issue. It's not a way for me to, to make God do stuff. It's a desire to hunger or a hunger after after him. And there are some incredible in scripture, some incredible benefits of, of fasting. In uh, Acts 13, check this out. Acts 13 it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, just before this, see, they're kind of in a church service. Just before this, they've got the word of God going on. They're fasting. They're, they're praying. They're worshiping. They're so caught up in their worship. They don't have got time to, to stop and make their meals. And oh, well, the lines are going to be too long. They're blowing all of that off. And look what happens. They're not looking for anything. You can't fast and then home. There's no, there's no guarantee that you're going to be hearing voices here. But look what happens. The Holy Spirit breaks in. And he, he gives them direction. He gives them vision. And you've got to check out this direction and vision. What is this? This is global evangelization. Talk about a program, right? This, this is world evangelization. That, that is born out of the context of fasting. When you're in a place where you're, you're listening to God, where, where even your stomach is hurting and you're saying, you know, that I'm going to let that remind me that, that my stomach doesn't call the shots here. I'm going to let that remind me that I've got a home that is not just here on earth. God can speak. He can, we can hear all the noise. It's been turned down a little bit. We can, we can hear. So in, in our fasting, we get direction. Also in our, our fasting, we, we, we find uh, the ability to withstand temptation. Let's check out this, Matthew chapter 4. Look at, look at this. After fasting, Jesus is in the wilderness, right? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, right? That's duh, huh? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Saints reminded him, Hey, you know, remember when Israel was in the desert, you know, at least God gave them manna. <laughs> You're not getting nothing here, Jesus. Come on, aren't you God and all? Make yourself some manna. Let's, let's see it. Satan's goal, he's got, he's got a contract out on all of us, but it's not just to mess up your happiness, to, to, to mess with your mind, to make your life inconvenient. This is not his goal. This is his goal. He wants you to be independent from God. He wants you to focus on your own issues. He wants you to think God's not coming through for him. I've got to take matters into my own hands. This is, this is what Satan's plan is. This is the ultimate of all temptation. That's, that's, that's where it's going. If you're facing some temptations, and you will, if you if you have, you're not in a major battle time now, goodness, praise God, you'll you'll be there again. You know you will if you're a believer. But how you'll be ready for that? How you will find the perseverance to withstand hell? To be hypersensitive to the word of God is in the context of fasting that Jesus persevered and overcame the evil one.
Not because he had to do this because, oh, yeah. He was seeking the Father as he started the ministry. Fasting also. It gives us uh, protection. It gives us release from anxiety. Uh, Jehoshaphat, he was a, a cool king in, in Judah. I love Jehoshaphat. Wasn't perfect, did some kind of squirrely things. But, but he's doing real well come Second Chronicles 20. And he has cleaned house in, in the southern kingdom, Judah. I mean, he's gotten rid of all the Baals and the Asherim and all the stuff that the false gods that the people would bow down, cleaned all that out. He hired, of course, he paid his own treasury. All of these teachers of God's word sent them throughout the kingdom to teach God's people the Bible. He is, Joseph is a good guy. And so what does he get because he's such a good guy? Three nations come together and decide to go take him out. And so his, his, his intelligence report comes and they says there's an army coming from the south. And frankly, there's no way we can deal with these guys. And so Jehoshaphat, was afraid. What? Let me, let me ask you, if, if you had a pen this morning and wrote down number one thing you're afraid of, we're not, we're not going to do this, but if you did that, and you, you didn't just go superficial, you went deep, what would you write down? Maybe I'm afraid I'm going to spend my life alone. I'm afraid that I messed up our finances so much when we were younger that I don't know what the future holds. I'm afraid on something for my, my, my children or my health or uh, whatever. Uh, big fears, you know, things that we can't just fix. This is, Josie couldn't just fix this. He was afraid. He set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Don't you love that? Then, then those three dots, he prays his big old prayer, right? It's a great, great, great prayer. But look at how he ends his prayer. He says, oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? It says the enemies, these problems. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And I love this last line. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. The things that may be causing you anxiety right now. Things that may be uh, causing you fear right now. Maybe in the context of fasting, not that fast fasting is not a lucky rabbit's foot thing, but we come because we say my life is so much more than that. God, I can provide for myself these ways, but I need you to provide for me what really matters. I need you. And God, you see the issues. And I can't tell other people about them because they might laugh. They might not think these are big, but these are really, really big. It's destroying me inside. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. In Joseph's prayer, this context of fasting, freedom from anxiety, I don't know how God will answer that, but I know this, he will, he will, he will. Look at Matthew 6, let's look at this again. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast... Anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And what's he going to do when you do this? And your Father, 
who sees in secret will reward you. Not might reward you, not could, will reward you. I don't know what that will look like. I have no idea. It may not be that he's going to give me everything I've been asking for. It may be that in those times of of quiet and fasting before him, that he changes my heart, my agenda, so now it's his. Somehow he rewards. It's a promise that Jesus says when you fast, it's intense prayer, come before him. And so here's, here's the challenge. I'm going to give you a challenge. We right now are in the season of Lent. Now, if you're a good uh, evangelical Protestant person, it's a possibility you grew up in church not ever having a clue about this, not knowing what this is about. Now, if you were Catholic or Orthodox or one of the high church, then yeah, you followed a liturgy schedule, and Lenten season is a normal thing. That's 40 days before Easter. Now, way back when, like 230, I think, uh, uh, A.D., we find the church fathers talking about uh, how we need to prepare our hearts for Easter's coming. And we want to prepare our hearts for that. And then by three, this was really just aimed at the guys that would be baptized on Easter, because that was the day to be baptized back then. But by 350, it was like for the whole church, let's all be preparing our hearts for Easter and getting ready. And so... uh, if you're familiar again with uh, with the Catholic Church, grew up in Chicago, very very Catholic area neighborhood. No other churches, just about, but Catholic churches. And I had tons of good Catholic Church friends. But I had a good uh, friend when I was a little boy. He was giving up cartoons for Lent, you know. And I thought, oh well, what 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 cartoons? He said, all oh, cartoons. I thought, wow, this is serious stuff. I had a boss who was giving up hard liquor for for Lent. I thought, okay, well, you know, good. You should take that one beyond Lent. Um, I had a friend who was giving up chocolate for Lent. No, and those are good. But what, we, what I want to challenge us is between now and Easter, okay, this Lenten season, that we enter into a, a fast. This is the way it would, would, would work. Every, fast starts Tuesday night after supper, so you get to eat, right? Uh, it starts then. It goes through Wednesday breakfast, Wednesday lunch. It ends just before Wednesday supper. Again, about 24 hours. It takes two meals. But here's the deal. In Scripture, fasting is always associated with prayer. Uh, there's lots of political fasts and other things, but people fasting. But in the Bible, it's all about Reconnecting with God. The, the goal of the fast is not to go without food. That's not the goal of the fast. I made it without food. That, that's good, but that's good self-discipline, I suppose. That's not the goal of the fast. The goal of the fast is to connect with God. And so during this breakfast on Wednesday, with this lunch on Wednesday, you sequester yourself and you pray. And three prayer requests. You, you're gonna, you want to pray for personal godliness. This personal godliness. You say, you're saying, Things like, Lord, I live over here so often, and I don't always hear a hunger in my my soul, but I want to. I, I don't want this stuff to control me. Lord, would you please help me? Would you, would, you, would you help me to see myself? Would you help me to see life as you do? Would you help me to hunger and thirst for you so much? Would you help me to know you as well as a mortal can know you? Would you help me to be that person, please, God? I wonder what he might do with us. If in sincerity we enter into this this right, second prayer request, we need to pray for your families, for your family's protection. 
it's, I think it's right. I think it's biblical. We'll be praying for my, my family's protection. We want them, we want them uh, healthy and good. But here, take the time. Because you got kids or a spouse or siblings or parents. Or, and commit them to him and say, oh, God, would you help them to hunger for you? I don't know how much they do or don't. But would you help them to see that life isn't all about all this stuff here? Would you help them to long for you, for, for wherever Satan's attacking them? And maybe you know some places. Would you, would you encourage them like only you can? And would you, would you hold their hand close? Would your presence be real? God, would you, would you help them to be the people you want them to be? I think those are the kind of prayers he wants to answer for our family. A, a third request would be church direction. If this is your church, if you're just visiting, don't worry about this. But if FAC is your church, let me encourage you to strongly be praying during this fast for your elders, for the leadership of the church. Crazy times and not horrifically bad or anything. Just trying to figure out, God, what is it you have for us? And so here's prayer. Lord, and this is, think about this for a minute because this is tough. Lord, would your will be done here. Not my will. Not my, I, I, you know the things I like and the things I want. Would your will be done here though, not my will? Because there's a lot of people out here who don't know you and are going to hell. May, may, may you use us, Lord, to stand in the gap. Would you use us, Lord, to see some people come to know and grow? Would you rid the church of, of sin and would you, would you purify it and use it for your kingdom? Would you, do you not wonder if we're unified in praying for this, what in the world might God? Matthew 6, he will reward us. And so that's my, 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 that's my question, I guess. So are you, would you be open to committing to that? Now, here's the deal. If you look at, go back Matthew, see Matthew 6. I was going to say, let's all, whoever's committing to this, stand up. But you can't, because you can't let anyone see this if you're interested, right? This is just between you and God. You can't sign, raise a hand, sign the card, nothing, nothing, nothing. This is just between you and God. Now, you might say, Mark, I'm there, but Wednesday's a killer day for me. You can't, I, it's not going to work. I've got these meetings and this thing, and there's just no way. Since it's just between you and God, pick another day. That's okay. Uh, but I would be consistent with it throughout this time leading up to Easter, or it's probably going to fall by the wayside. If you would say, I so much want to do this, I really, really do, God knows my heart, but medically, if I was to enter into, it could be, I mean, it could be dangerous, not just it will make me not feel good, and this could be dangerous for me. This is not a command. This is so so don't worry about that. But let me encourage you this. If your heart is there, how about Tuesday from evening to Wednesday evening? The fast is from Internet, social media. And instead, during that 24 hour time, you take two different times to sequester yourself away and to pray the things we just with things we just mentioned. Let me pray with you now. Would you, would you close your eyes, bow your heads and if you're there, now, now you, you know, if you say, well, I'm going to think about this more, you, you know where that's going to go, right? That's not it. And so I'm going to ask you to make a commitment now, right now, between you and God. And uh, you could pray something like this to him. You could say, Lord, I want to hunger after you. And I confess to you that I, I, I don't so much, but I want to more. So would you help me to do that, Lord? And I, I commit 
to doing this. And I don't know if I'm going to have the willpower to do it. But would you help me? More than anything else, God, would you meet with me? And grow me? Lord, I know it's amazing to me, but that's your desire for us to be with you. You stand, Lord Jesus, at the door, and you knock. You say, listen, listen, hear me, voice. And then open. And the blessings you might have for us, we just don't want to forfeit because we weren't there. So, Lord, I pray Between now and Easter, would you prepare us for that celebration? Would you prepare us, God, in ways we're not even conscious of right now? We would wait on you. Lord, I pray now, too, for this body, for the opportunity you've given us to take up an offering. Would you be pleased, God, to use it to get the message here to our kids and over our ministries as well as across the world that there's so much more to live for than this earthly bodily appetites. I would pray that that would be so, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.